Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the second hour of Amplify. On the first hour, Michael Heinlein was uh, the first author we dealt with the book, Finding Christ in the Crisis, What the Pandemic Can Teach Us. Our guest uh, this hour is Father Michael, excuse me, Father Harrison Eyre, who is a priest of the Diocese of Victoria, Canada, where he is currently a pastor and co-host of the Clerically Speaking Broadcast. He currently has uh, two degrees in theology from Newman Theological College. He is a frequent contributor to our Sunday visitors. It's a Catholic publishing company. Simply Catholic and is a Ph.D. student at Maryvale Institute studying Joseph Ratzinger's theology of human, the human person. We didn't have him on together only because uh, Father Harrison has mass. He's three hours different from us, and it didn't uh, just couldn't bring them together at the same time. And it is such an important topic. Uh, I could see where. Uh, the perspective that they take of what the pandemic can teach us is something is a lesson we need to continue to learn and learn it in in new ways because it seems like it is is not going away but we're going to be dealing with this um we don't know how long father harrison is that not right no yeah exactly it, it, and it seems like things are are uh rolling up right now so it's, it's ramping up so it's uh it's important to always be kind of trying to pay attention to what God's saying and what's God trying to teach us, I think is an always an important question. And sometimes we don't always ask it. So um, we think it's just such an important question to, to ask and to consider and to ponder. And um, just for your information, Michael and I spoke uh, about the beginning of the book up to the point of uh, some theological lessons. And mm -hmm. uh, he was a great guest. I'm not putting any pressure Excellent. on you. <laughs> you. You would know that. You would know that from working with him on this yeah, book. Michael's with, a great, great guy. Without a doubt. Um, some people, you write, didn't understand that the church had to do what we did at the beginning when we didn't have much knowledge of the virus. And, and Michael talked a little bit about that. But I'm interested in your experience that, uh, that you had in Victoria, in the Diocese of Victoria. Yeah, I mean, like pretty much everywhere, we were on lockdown for a few months too. And and um, I mean, you know, some parishioners were understanding, some were wondering, why are we closing our churches? And um, and it was definitely a question. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people had, and, and, and you know, I, I did notice too, though, like you had the whole spectrum. I think of reactions. You had understanding. Uh, the importance of looking after everyone's health, et cetera. 
But then you had those who were like, but our, our spiritual goods are the most important thing, so we need to get to the sacraments all the time, regardless of the risk it might cause to our health. And, um, you know, and that, you know, and you understand where it's coming from, but we felt that that's an important question to try and address, because it's an important question, and, and it's an important sentiment, and, and I understand where it's coming from, but it's like, is there a broader understanding of our faith? Uh, in the life of the church to address mm-hmm. the needs for health, human dignity, our sacramental life. Um, so you really did get a broad, a broad thing. And I think like, and there was a lot of frustration too, I think. And part of it maybe just because nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> right? Right. Just like, we're all, uh, everyone's just kind of like, just, we're all kind of just sitting there. Like, what do we do? How do we do things safely? And I, I think in a way, stepping back for a bit was an important thing so that we could open up safely, that we could uh, do things in a, in a good way to make everyone safe. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a, a spectrum of reactions I found. And, and from talking to brother priests, this was pretty normal, pretty much everywhere. I will say the one thing I, I did notice, cause I have a lot of friends who are American, obviously, you know, it, it wasn't, I, I did find in general, there was, um, there was more understanding in, in my diocese, at the very least, than maybe what I was seeing and hearing online from the states, um, it's not not universal, obviously, but just I was just noticing there was a bit more understanding there. Um, but still, there was like those frustrations. Why can't we get to the sacraments? Yes, caution was not abandonment, as you point out. Right. But the three most um, what's central to our faith, you write, is baptism, Eucharist, and ministry. And Michael mm-hmm. touched on them uh, a little mm-hmm. bit. And uh, I'd like you to uh, do the same thing. You write about baptism. Even when we are separated from the sacraments, as you just described, even the Eucharist, we are never alone. We are never abandoned. That is because we have been baptized in Christ. When we are baptized, he makes us members of his own body, and we are thus forever changed and made one with him. It's important to Mm -hmm. understand, isn't it? It's so important. You know, when, when Michael and I were starting to talk about this idea of possibly this booklet, this was for us the big point, almost, <laughs> because baptism is such a real thing. Um, it is not just a simple ceremony that happens when we're a baby or whatever, and that's it, and that's over. We've entered the church. Baptism has done its thing. It's a sacrament that's always at work. And if it's a sacrament that's always at work, then that means there is sacramental access to Jesus through the gift of baptism. And, and, and for whatever reason, I, I think this is one of those really good lessons we can take away from this, is to rediscover the gift of that. That I mean, absolutely, Jesus, uh, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. It is, it is Christ's presence in its, in its most perfect form, but it doesn't mean there is no presence of Christ with us in baptism. We are grafted onto Christ. One of my favorite things from C.S. Lewis is he says, if we only understood what Paul meant by the word in, we would die of ecstasy, because mm-hmm. that's what baptism does for us. It puts us in Christ, and that is something that never leaves, ever. It's, it's permanent. It's a permanent sacrament, and it's always working. And so that means that Christ is, has an intimacy with us, that he's working through us through our joys and our sufferings in this time. Um, that we have a, a place to access him and to talk to him and to listen to him. And most fundamentally, 
it is the place where his grace works in our souls. So baptism is really it in some ways. It mm-hmm. is, and, and it's our hope and our prayer that this is a sacrament that um, gets kind of rediscovered in its, in its living nature, that it becomes something that becomes something alive again. And to see that there is a great dignity and gift from Jesus to us and a great intimacy with Jesus to us by being in him through baptism. In fact, you write the connection, the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist are closely intertwined. It is baptism that makes it possible for us to receive the Eucharist. And by the power of the Eucharist, our crosses are joined to Christ's own, and we are giving the strength we need to persevere. And that brings the cross mm-hmm. into this also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and, you, and you you write about Israel suffering foreshadows the cross of of Jesus and that there is great power in the cross. And there are many ways in, that he has been active throughout history, hasn't there been? Absolutely. It, it's... Um... The cross is what makes the world turn. Um, the cross is 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 the saving reality, and so um, all throughout history, the cross of Christ is always at work through the sufferings of the saints, through the suffering of the church. I remember hearing once from an Orthodox priest. He says that the natural state of the church is the cross, and I've always loved that phrase. I thought, wow, what a what a powerful and beautiful phrase. It's not to say that we always have to suffer, right? It doesn't mean that we should be kind of masochists or kind of just beating ourselves up all the time. But it means that when suffering comes our way, because of what Christ has, because not only what Christ has done in the past, but now because of baptism, because of the Mass, because of the other sacraments, He unites us in a special way to participate in His saving mystery. And that, that that's really it right there, that the saving mystery that Jesus lived through is always being lived out in the church today. And it's how, like, as the Second Vatican Council likes to say, the church becomes the universal sacrament of salvation. By allowing him, by allowing us to unite ourselves with the cross of Christ, we become that visible sacrament to the world of that salvation, which comes to us through the cross and resurrection. And so the cross really is like the centerpiece of hope in so mm-hmm. many ways, because we have a God who has actually entered into our suffering. He's actually entered into our death. And so we're again we're not alone because of baptism, but it's also that he's actually incorporating us into his saving mystery, which is is just a powerful. Like I always I've always been struck by that phrase by Paul. I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What a what a powerful and mysterious phrase because he's talking about the church. And so our sufferings are the places where cross where Christ finishes the work of the cross to bring the world to salvation. And um, there's some very simple theological principles, uh, beautifully stated and powerfully. This moment can remind us that there is enough grace in the Eucharist, even in one reception of communion, to make us saints. Um, mm-hmm. And I could go on. There's so many th- other things if, uh, with the time we have. But the third point was ministry. Uh, you write about ministry. There's no doubt that the pandemic will leave a mark on the ecclesial life beyond the sacraments. Say a little bit about ministry. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, ministry <laughs> went kind of went on a halt there for a while. Um, 
it's something like I, I was hearing a lot of, of you know, we, I think what we're, we were trying to get at, and again, what we were discussing when we were writing this was that there was kind of a misconception of, of ministry in a way um, that, that has taken over sometimes where it becomes almost an institutionalized thing, um, which is not bad and it has its place in the life of the church, absolutely. But that so that ministry was only anything that happened in the church building and only anything that Father put the rubber stamp on. But that we were missing out on those things like calling up uh, an old uh, a parishioner who we knew was alone and um, and just checking in on them. But that's kind of the mystery, ministry of Christ to the lonely, to the poor. And, and thinking about those things, those becomes, you know, in, in a way, ministry. Like, it becomes a work of the life of the church in these small ways that aren't, like, rubber-stamped by the parish, you know, but are, we're seeking out the lonely and the lost, and, and that, that's a ministry, too. And I think that that's an important thing I hope we can take away, that, that ministry is not something just reduced to the physical parish church, but that the parish, which is a certain geographical boundary, is... Uh, Whenever a Christian is doing the living the life of faith, that is a work of the church, which is a ministry, and therefore becomes something that can view and bring up the life of that local area. And I think I'm hoping and praying that that's something we can really learn from this and take this. I think we've seen this a lot in the beautiful way. We've seen people go out of their way to call uh, an older parishioner who they know doesn't have much family nearby or to bring them and drop off food and maybe stand socially distanced and, and say hello or, or um, people organizing drive-by birthday greetings to those who have reached great milestones in their life, uh, but know they can't leave their homes. You know, those are small ways. Those are all works of the life of the church. And I hope and pray that that's something that will kind of blossom through this slowly uh, to become, because that's, 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 uh, that's when the church is alive. Yes, there are some things that, uh, in this book, that will jump out to me because I'm a priest, and there are other things that will jump out to those who are lady, uh, those mm -hmm. who uh, maybe have fallen away from the church, walked away mm -hmm. for one reason or another, maybe even because of what we've had to do in, in the shutdown phase, even as we're open up again. But what ju jumps out of me is that the, you write the pandemic in some ways has rounded out a perfect storm for ecclesial institutions already suffering from shrinking revenue in the wake of the clergy sexual abuse crisis and an overall demographic decline in American church life. Um, let me go to another, I'm looking through the things that I've underlined. Uh, <laughs> as in the spiritual life, could the del deleterious effects of the pandemic be an opportunity to reconsider our current approach to ministry? Do we need the massive institutional structures we now support? Say a little bit about uh, that question you ask, you pose. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it is an uncomfortable question, right? Because the church sets up lots of institutions. She sets up hospitals and schools and all sorts of things. And in many ways, these have done great works in the past. And so, but now we have to ask ourselves: Are these still doing the work that they were initially intended for? So, are they becoming something that is? helping us or are they help or 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 is there a way we can help renew them you know we don't want to just see all the institutional life of the church just kind of crumble and fall away that i think that that's not uh, that's not taking into account the human nature or aspect of the church 
But what we are seeing is I think, you know, this time because there's financial crunches on parishes, on dioceses, on schools, on, on other ecclesial institutions that are they're going to force those hard questions. And they're not easy because people's jobs are at stake, right? These are, these are um, you know, we don't ask these questions flippantly, I guess is perhaps what I'd like to say, just as a little caveat. But we do need to ask, um, is this in service to our mission? which is to proclaim Christ and to bring about uh, the redemption uh, of the world, which is the mission and, and, you know, the mission of the church. Do our institutional structures support that, right? Um, do, they, do our ministries support that? Uh, are our resources really helping us um, live that out? Or are we using them effectively? It's a broad question that I know is is it's a it's too big to answer at once, but we have to ask it. I don't I don't see how we can't. Another so that one. we can kind of um, so that in this way, then we can we can kind of really focus our energy in in um, in going forward because you know it, it, who knows where the year is going to be bring, but it's hard to see how everything that we have now is going to be here in a year. And looking at the church from a little different perspective, uh, mm-hmm. you're right. We also might take this time to reevaluate our programs, activities, and initiatives, prioritizing deeper prayer, a more penitential spirit, and a greater understanding of the importance of sacrifice. A little mm-hmm. bit later, it may also be helpful to highlight the distinction between the duties of clergy and laity. The clergy are at the service of the lay faithful, while the lady are charged with the sanctification of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And not everyone understands that. The one, one other thing that I would, I would like to read, uh, our goals, the goals of our ministry remain the same. Our task, supported and sustained by God's grace and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is to seize this moment and reflect upon what is necessary and can fade away. Sort of the bottom line right there. Absolutely. And, 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 it, and it, that's the thing. I think, and I, I know it's hard to see, <laughs> but yes. this, this moment really is an opportunity. It, it is a moment of, it, listen, even in suffering, everything can become a moment of grace. And so this is, I think, because this is something so universally experienced, uh, so universally shared, this really becomes a... Uh, uh, a, a real grace for the life of the church. And, and we need to see, and so when grace comes, we need to seize it. We need to grab hold of it. But it means, but to do that, it means allowing, as we kind of heard earlier with the stuff around the exile and stuff, is, is we need to allow us ourselves to be purified, mm-hmm. which comes through a suffering, absolutely. Um, but it's a purification towards a, a real good and a real redemption and a real, uh, I would hope, a real resurgence of the life of the church so that, yes, the, so it means things like we need to kind of re, um, reevaluate and rethink about how clergy and lay relate with each other and what their different missions are. We need to, because that, that's such an important one, like that's, that's one of those things from the Second Vatican Council about that kind of, the, the secular vocation, if you will, the laity is such an important teaching. And that's where the mission goes, right? And that's where we go out to to the workplace, to our families, to our friends, where we in small and subtle ways evangelize. 
because that's going to need to happen because our pew, our numbers are going to decrease. And for the churches to stay open, we're going to need to do this work, and it's going to be a shared work together. Um, so this is a moment, but that's a grace. Like, what a beautiful grace when the, when the whole church, God willing, could start to see, wow, God has given us this opportunity to do this work together to build up his church. What a beautiful thing. What a great joy. And I really hope and pray that we can seize that grace. In the first part, Michael and I talked a little bit about uh, uh, the fact that um, in your book, you reflect on what significance the cross uh, brings to this moment, um, that there is great power in the cross and that Mm -hmm. Israel's suffering foreshadows the cross of Jesus. And so the whole history of Israel, you write, is summed up in Christ and the church can look easily to Israel to help us understand something of the present moment. We just have a minute mm-hmm. before we need to take our next break. But uh, in what sense is the cross the natural state of the church? Say a little bit, and when we need to stop, we'll, we'll continue after the break. Sure, yeah. Sure. So just because the redemption isn't fulfilled yet. Yes. <laughs> and we know for a fact, just by the fact of our living, Suffering and death are still a reality. And so that means the cross is still at work. Again, St. Paul's words, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. That means the suffering hasn't come to its full fruition because Christ and his church are one body at work in the world. And so as the new Israel, as the church, she must take the cross as that starting point. Again, not as this kind of self-feeding up way, but in a way of, of seeing that this is the place of hope that leads to the resurrection and to the new creation, to the new Israel, to the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. Okay, we're going to take this break, and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, um, final part of our program, last segment, over in just about uh, 20 minutes. Our guest during um, this section of the, our interview is uh, Father Harrison Eyre. He's one of the uh, two authors of a book titled Finding Christ in the Crisis, What the Pandemic Can Teach Us. And as we, as we broke uh, for the news, um, we were talking about the significance of the cross and what it brings to this moment uh, that the church can look easily to Israel to help us understand the present moment because the whole history of Israel is summed up in Christ. And let me just give you some head, head, uh, headlines um, the, for which you may want to read, get a copy of the book and read more about it. They write that uh, the cross is the natural state of the church. It is the source of our hope, that hope is the belief that God is present in all of the moments of our life, including now, this in this pandemic. He is in our suffering, and we can gain new life through his resurrection, that he has given meaning to our suffering and made it holy. No doubt, the cross is not something we choose. It's given to us. We can embrace it or we can run away from it, but it can give us eternal life. And so hope is where the grace of God works within us is what they write. Um, 
Father Harrison, um, in what sense uh, is can suffering be a form of Christ's love for the world? It's mm, a great question. And um, the way I always like to look at it is that suffering, the way suffering can, can be manifest Christ's love to the world is simply that the, the cross, suffering itself and the cross itself is actually the principal way God shows his love. That actually at the heart of the cross is first and foremost God's love. Right? This is God, Jesus reveals something beautiful about who God is on the cross, that this comes from the place of love, from self-gift, right? We, we know that love means to give of self, right? Uh, we hear in Second Vatican Council that, that famous phrase that was written by John Paul II, man cannot find himself except through a sincere gift of self, because this is what's revealed on the cross. And so when we suffer, we are united really and truly in Christ's salvific work for the world, in his cross, thereby if we choose to unite with it, if we choose to accept it really and truly, it becomes actually even more importantly, not just the suffering, but the self-gift of love. And that self-gift is so radical. It is, um, it is so revolutionary that it, when, when done with the heart of Christ, it brings people to know him more deeply. And so really the cross really is everything because it is the place where where God reveals himself as love, and when we unite ourselves with it, that is where we discover the God who is love, and we make visible the God who is love. And so the four questions uh, that uh, you impose uh, in terms of what we've been talking about uh, in this discussion so far, could the mm -hmm. Lord be inviting us through this present moment to renew our commitment to him through the cross? Are we being given the opportunity to once again see the cross's place at the center of Christian life? Could Christ be asking us to see this suffering as a purification in the fashion of Israel's own suffering? And if we embrace the cross in this time, might we be drawn into a deeper intimacy with Jesus and drawn into the life of hopeful suffering once again. Um, and so you're suggesting we, we can find hope even in suffering. It can, it can be an opportunity to come closer and help the church in its, its, um, in its mission, that it can slow us to pay closer attention to what God is teaching us. And, and as we've been talking about, it, it is uh, a time of, of purification. What is the role of prayer in, in all of this? Mm. I, I always like to say that, that prayer is the school of hope, um, because without prayer, we, 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 we have no hope, because prayer is the place of the encounter with Christ. Um, and, 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 I mean, and, there, and there's a variety of forms of prayer, right? There, I mean, obviously there's liturgical prayer, which has a certain preeminence in the life of the Church, but there's also just that time of personal prayer, of devotional prayer. When we pray, it's really an encounter of our hearts with the heart of Jesus. And so it helps us to recognize always and everywhere his presence. Uh, you know, when I'm counseling people who are struggling with a particular sin and they're wondering, 
you know, that they're struggling to over to kind of suffer through the temptation. I say, I always ask the first question I always ask is, what's your prayer life like? And it, usually it's not very good in these moments. <laughs> so I'll say, right. well, that's where you need to start, actually, because that's where we, we, we encounter the person and faith of Jesus each and every day. That, that while, yes, he speaks to the whole church in a preeminent way, he also speaks to us individually as well. And prayer is that time of real intimate love so that when I come to encounter him every day, I begin to see, not just to see him every day more deeply, to see his presence in, all, in, in things more deeply, but to even kind of see things through his eyes. Like one of my favorite definitions of faith is from Pope Benedict when he says that faith is to share in the vision of Jesus. Mm. And that's what prayer does. It, 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 builds, it, it stores up our faith. It builds it up so that we can actually not just see Christ in all things, but to see things through his eyes and thereby to see things as God sees them. And then we don't see these things as places of kind of like, uh, you know, suffering as, as these things that of, of ultimate horror, but actually the principal places of God's love. Earlier in the program, we talked about uh, the importance of charity in, mm. in this, that we um, die to self for the good of others, that we, sacrifice our comforts to help protect others and in that sense we embrace the cross for love of of others and and um there are many people struggling such you right there there have been many different moments of suffering in this time for some it has been the loss of loved ones and limited access to priests or inability to celebrate a funeral mass with loved ones for others school closures or canceled Limited weddings and ordinations have been the cause of real suffering. Still others have faced great pain from isolation and the inability to be with family. In particular, the elderly have found themselves cut off from care and seen as expendable. And so the suffering is real, isn't it? It is so real and it's real across the board I, I can just speak personally that this weekend has been very difficult for a variety of reasons we're trying to make things safe for our parish and it's just you know there's stresses and and so on and so forth but i mean but i can share but honestly where the greatest suffering has been is in that last line where i've had those few opportunities to actually get into a care home because it's very difficult right now um, I remember seeing one one elderly parishioner of ours who's who's in one of our care care homes nearby, and she was just lamenting how lonely. Not just actually in the way it was beautiful. She didn't care so much about her loneliness, which was real, and her suffering, which was real. But everyone else in there who had no one to visit her, she says, well, "At least I can pray, and I know Christ is with me." But so many of these people don't have anything, and they're they're so lost. And, and the staff sometimes. You know, it's not you know. Sometimes maybe the staff members aren't as caring and as nurturing and as charitable as maybe they would like, and, and it's that for me. Like, if there's any of the sufferings that breaks my heart, it's for it's for the elderly who have no access to their loved ones right now. Uh, that is, it is a suffering that's almost actually yeah. No, it is a suffering that's unjust, and like I just wish there could be ways where we could allow for safe visiting for them so that they don't have to feel so alone. Because even FaceTime and all that stuff, as good as it is and as, as, as helpful as it can be, there's just not, there's just something about being in the room with someone. And a lot of our elderly people are missing that right now. And they've been missing it for months. And it just breaks my heart. And um, 
while suffering can be so evident to us, uh, grace often works secretly. You're right. Yeah. Grace is able to do most of its work when we are at our most helpless, when we are truly crucified, weak, and able to do nothing. Remember, on the cross, Jesus was helpless and weak. Yet it was from this cross that Christ worked his greatest grace, the salvation of the world. When Christ is most helpless, there he works the greatest grace. The same is true for us. When we embrace our helplessness and simply accept it, uniting it to the cross, God is able to work great graces in the world. And there's that connection to the sacraments once again. Absolutely, that's that's the principal work of our of our baptism, right? I think too. I would you know argue that you know the anointing of the sick really is because it, it it gives that person who receives it that special mission, if you will, to unite their suffering. It's in that nothingness that we can so often experience that helplessness. That is precisely the place where grace is. Work. That's actually when grace works its most because it's when we are often most open and willing to let grace do its work. And um, it's 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 St. Paul's phrase, right? Three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn from my side, but he every time he refused, saying, "My my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness." For the, therefore I boast in the cross of Christ. For when I am weak, there I am strong, that the power of Christ may work through me. Right? This is this that's that's kind of what's behind all of that. There, Christ is doing the work, and and so when we unite this. Grace is there. We may not see it all the time. We may not. Uh, we may not. We, we may not understand how God's secret plans are at work. But He's asking. He's asking us. He's inviting us into a special share in His saving mission. And so that's where the hope comes in and stays. Christ is doing His work, and He's using us. He's asking us to participate in it. Like what a what an amazing gift, right? What an yes. amazing grace that that He deems us worthy to share in His mission. It just blows your mind. (laughs) You have a quote from St. Clair of Assisi, Love that cannot suffer is not worthy of that name. And another quote, The cross is steady while the world is turning. Mm -hmm. Tell us um, about the two spiritual threats, a little bit about the two spiritual threats and spiritual fruits you have identified and why is it important to identify them? Yeah, so the the two threats we kind of talked about. One, so I'll actually talk about the second one first, partially because uh, this one came for me from, um, you know, a lot of people were when things were locked down, people were home more. There was a certain um, people were having a hard time motivating themselves, and so um, it, and so it brought out a time of, of, of acedia. And so on Twitter, actually, actually, I was sharing a lot about acedia and it actually gained a lot of traction. People quite appreciated hearing about it to know more about it, how it works. Um, so, um, you know, acedia is this, um, it's to cease to desire the good, right? So it can either be sloth or laziness where I just don't want to do anything or it can become hyperactivity where I'm avoiding what I, I'm avoiding what I need in my life, like prayer or the duty of the moment and just filling up my life with a bunch of other things. And so it kind of takes these two tones. And so acedia was, was, was definitely one that kind of came out a lot uh, for people because they were noticing this. Uh, it was just, it was, I think the situation just made it, made it a fact for them. So 
that was one of those things that brought out to us. And this, but that there was a spiritual malaise in our souls that needs to be addressed. And because and, this isn't just about the day-to-day tasks, it's about our spiritual life that needs to be addressed. And really, um, and so this brings it out, which is not a bad thing. You know, the light shines in the darkness so that Christ can purify us and draw us to desire the good again. The second one was, was what we call uh, spiritual narcissism. And this is actually a phrase Pope Francis has used a lot. And um, this idea where all I look out is for my own spiritual good and all I care about is my own salvation. And that's all that matters. And I need to get everything and anything I need all the time to achieve the spiritual goal. And I don't care how much it might hurt others to get it. I want to get this. And this is not the Christian attitude because it so it comes out of individualism and, and, and kind of gets away from the nature of the communion of the church where we're all in this together, where we have a shared sense of the common good. Spiritual narcissism really undermines all of that. It says, I'm out for number one in a spiritual sense. And that's really dangerous, too, because it lacks Christian charity. Right. And uh, about a CD, um, how do we overcome it? You write, we can choose to pray first thing each morning, making mm-hmm. God our first choice, which sets a proper tone for the day, we can mm-hmm. choose positive things such as going for a walk, exercising, or doing something that brings wholesome joy finally by embracing simplicity in our lives. We can better choose that which matters most and will endure. So once again, simplicity is a spiritual fruit, and we've touched a little bit about the centrality of prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just about getting back to the essentials, if you will, just getting back to the essentials of our spiritual life, getting back to the essentials of our lives. One of, the, one of the actually really beautiful, weird things that came out of this early on was hearing from so many people how much they actually liked their life slowing down, how they didn't know, need to bring their kids to 10 events every week, and that they were enjoying family dinners every night, and how much they enjoyed it and loved it, and how their families were actually coming closer together. That's part of the simplicity of life. And I pray and I hope, because we've been kind of losing that that a little bit. I hope we can look back to that and see the joy in it, that we don't need all these things. We can actually reduce a lot of things in our life to choose what matters. God, our family, our vocation, these are the things that matter. And so we got to just, uh, um, got to just make them our first choices to make those the primary things we choose our life and, make, and kind of build our life around. We don't need all these extraneous things all the time. Right. Uh, the choice to live the faith is um, one you write that must be intentional with each passing day and the church liturgy, mass and other forms, offers an amazing way for us to enter into the rhythm of Christian life. Tell us a little bit what you mean by the rhythm of Christian life. Yeah, so just the, there's um, the rhythm of Christian life is like that we have a Christian calendar, that we have a calendar that kind of forms our life, that the, the the day has a certain rhythm to it, right? We start the day with the rising sun as a sign of the resurrection. So like there's this kind of just even the rhythm of a day, marking our day with times of prayer, the Christian week, right? Sunday as the preeminent day, making Sunday a day where we refuse to do kind of hard labor, where we make family and, and church, if we can get to it right now, a, a thing of our life, or at least to make to choose to do something on Sunday to honor the Lord's resurrection. And that the different feast days, our times of great celebration, the times of penance in the life of the church 
are, are times to enter more deeply into the sharing and the sufferings of Christ. And, and, and the times of great celebration around Christmas and Easter and around major feast days in the life of the Church, that the whole calendar kind of helps form our rhythm. Because I think, you know, especially early on when we were in lockdown, we, were, we lost this. We, everyone didn't know what day of the week it was. The Christian calendar can really set a rhythm to our life and it's what we can choose our family life around so often. I know so many families who do this beautifully in so many ways. It brings a real joy and unity to the family. And it also speaks out to other people when, you know, like just the other day, I was just talking to a family where last year they invited a couple families who aren't even Christian to their All Saints party. And they wanted to know when it was happening. And this year it didn't happen this year, obviously. But, you know, these are those little things that become evangelical it, because we are saying this is the most important thing in my life. God God, the Church has given us a calendar whereby we can really easily center our life around God by just allowing her days, her weeks, her Fridays as a day of penance, all these things as a time to really center and focus our life. Our guests during this second hour of our program has been Father Harrison Ayer, talking about a book that he and Michael Heinlein have written, who was on our first hour, Finding Christ in Crisis, What the Pandemic Can Teach Us. God bless you in your ministry, and uh, I hope that uh, uh, the book remains uh, popular, grows popularity um, to help people through the crisis and understand how important it is for us to find Christ in it. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a great discussion, and it was a great joy to be with what my friends, my priest friends in Pittsburgh say is an institution <laughs> in that diocese. So uh, uh, it's been a real joy to be with you. All right. Thank you. God bless. God, God bless. Now. Uh, just some a few uh, closing remarks from from their conclusion. They they write as people of faith, our task always is to see where God is active and to trust that He provides for our every need. While hindsight provides twenty twenty vision, we can also take stock in the midst of situations such as this pandemic by learning from the experience of God's people throughout salvation history. And moments like this allow us to recognize the gifts Christ gives us. We are challenged anew to discover the spiritual tools that Christ bestows on the members of his body. Such gifts at our disposal in the Christian life are both foundational to what we believe and often taken for granted, especially in the midst of difficulties forced upon us by situations such as the current pandemic. As disciples, we are called to follow Christ's way more and more each day. And that is, of course, ultimately the way of the cross. That spiritual journey is the way of charity, service, and sacrifice. We are strengthened and spurred on by the concrete examples of fellow travelers on this way. These holy men and women who have carried Christ's cross for the good of their brothers and sisters. As we face the days ahead with their uncertainty and continued opportunities for suffering and spiritual growth. They are decisions and perspectives aligned with the primacy of charity. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone and come back next Sunday and amplify with us.